Because there are so many shows out there that are quality or worth watching or not worth watching, we have to take the occasional episode where we cover a variety of shows. In this episode, in fact, we're covering 18 comedies, 13 dramas, and one documentary. (laughs) We're going to cover shows that have aired relatively recently or are coming back soon, mostly shows that more than one of us have watched, but a few, well, there's a few exceptions. And part of the goal here is to, like I said, not just cover a bunch of shows, because we can't possibly do all of them episode to episode, but to judge what you guys are interested in and to get your feedback on which shows we should go deeper into. While we go through these, I'm going to recommend the site GoWatchIt.com to you all because it's a great tool. You can just type in whatever show or movie you're looking for, and it'll tell you all of the legal sites that it's on for streaming or for purchase. We're going to try to do an episode like this from time to time, especially when there's a bit of a lull in the shows we're watching. In fact, right now we're only doing Better Call Saul, and it has a week off, so this is a perfect time for us to do this. But we will maybe do it more often, depending on the feedback we get from you guys. So let's get started. Fandomedia.reviews. First of all, a show that we all enjoy, Silicon Valley, one of the 18 comedies that we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. And of course, as you can see from the length of this episode, we're not going into too deep into any of these particular shows. One nostalgic thing I have for this show is that it launched itself following Game of Thrones. It was yeah. on right after it on HBO, the time slot right after. So it's a nice balance from after the dark and heavy and violent Game of Thrones. It leaves you kind of going, whoa, with some lighthearted comedy, but not, you know, but still something that's plot driven. Yeah, it definitely has me on the edge of my seat. Pretty much as much as Game of Thrones, personally. I'm very invested in the plot of these engineers, strangely. It's very exciting, (laughs) but I really just love anything that Mike Judge does. He, of course, has done Office Space, King of the Hill, Idiocracy, so many things, and this one is a serious contender for one of my favorites. I like it a lot as a comedy. Most of the comedies I watch, most of my favorite shows, tend to ostensibly be comedies, but really they're dramas that just have some funny stuff happen. But this one's a comedy. This one's just hilarious. And is also very plot-driven for being a comedy. Also, it has a stellar cast. It's got so many great comedians that we love, like Zach Woods from The Office, and Kumail Nanjiani, who we love his stand-up, and a lot more. Yeah, Martin Starr, and T.J. Miller, and Thomas Middleditch. And that show's on its fourth season now, and it's, and it's been renewed for a fifth. I think that's an important thing to point out, really, because a lot of times I don't get into a show because you've got a limited amount of time to watch TV in your life, right? And you don't want to get invested in a show that's going to get canceled. I think that's part of the decision when you start a show. And seeing that a show already has four seasons, well, even if it does get canceled, you've still got a lot of material to cover. And that the fact that it has so many seasons means it's pretty likely to keep going for a while. Yeah, I recently watched Veep, which I'm sure all of you are familiar with. It's an HBO show with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and it's got six seasons out, and it's <laughs> obviously renewed for another season because it's a massive, award-winning hit, and so that was awesome to dive into so many episodes of a show and get to binge it like that, and it's really good. It's 
hilarious, just ha- absolutely hilarious. Hasn't it become kind of a joke how many awards it's won? Yeah, it, it is. And I used to be a little <laughs> bit resentful of that. And now I'm like, I like Veep enough that I'm okay with it. They deserve it. I don't know that about that. <laughs> <laughs> they deserve some of them, just not every year. <laughs> so a lot of times when I'm thinking about what to recommend to people, shows that I love a lot, but have, you know, eight seasons of 20 episodes each. It's really hard to recommend that to someone. It's a lot to take on. So a lot of times I find myself recommending the shorter shows with shorter episodes, shorter seasons, less total seasons, because it's more accomplishable. And a lot of times I'm trying to win someone over with a good recommendation, give them something short they can accomplish. And if they like that, then I'll go ahead and recommend the longer thing. Something that fits that bill pretty well is The Leftovers. It's just about to conclude its third and scheduled final season. I think that it has 10 episodes per season or about an hour long each. The final and, uh, season is eight. Final one's eight. And uh, it's a drama on HBO and it's it's really good. It's from Damon Lindelof, who made Lost which, you know, maybe there are some mixed emotions about what you think of Lost, and there's definitely shades of it in this show, but knowing that they've limited it to three seasons makes me less concerned about what kind of wonky ending they're going to have. Although it still may have a wonky ending. It's a, it's a pretty crazy show. Its setup is that just randomly, one day, 2% of the world's population just vanishes. So there's suddenly families have lost their child or a parent, and, you know, the FBI is investigating what happened. But the world goes on, and the show is just about the drama of, people dealing with this loss and moving on with their lives and it's uh kind of a mix of some supernatural elements and they do a good job of keeping it ambiguous whether you know it's chance and coincidence how people are reading in religious aspects it's a very intriguing show with amazing performances one other little note about leftovers i think they do an outstanding job of picking the music the intro to each episode some of the music within the episode it's i think a sign of a great show or maybe I don't know what cause and effect is, but having great musical selection is uh, often a good part of what makes a good show, and Leftovers does an outstanding job with that. Definitely. I really like the show a lot. I'm excited for the finale, which we have not quite seen yet. Maybe after the finale, I'll be like, that show was just okay, because it would still be really good, even if the (laughs) finale bombed. But fans of Fargo will enjoy Carrie Coon, that's Gloria Burgle, the lead, the police officer from season three, as one of the leads in The Leftovers, which is some nice synergy because we're about to talk about Fargo, which is a show that all three of us watch. Certainly Noah Hawley is becoming a bit of a regular on our show. We covered Legion and now we're talking about Fargo. This is a show that established itself in season one with a bit of a formula and a setting that it's used really well in successive seasons. This is both a strength and a weakness because the formula it makes it a little bit predictable, but the acting and the setting and just the general production are extremely strong. So, so you could never consider it weak by any means. It's got to be like at least a 7 on the 10 scale. But it's going to struggle, I think, in these later seasons to ever achieve the greatness, perhaps, of the first season because it is maybe resting on its laurels a bit. I think that... It definitely feels formulaic sometimes to me, and I ruminate on how much they really can veer from the series of unfortunate events style crime drama where someone has to bumble along and someone has to be powerful and all of these elements. But I do get bordering on frustrated or bored with it, but it's just blown out of the water usually by the kind of directing and film work that Noah Hawley does in his shows. He does some really innovative and unique things every season, really. 
I also want to give it credit to staying fresh, even if it has a little bit of a formula, by jumping around to different time periods. It's worth noting, in fact, each season is kind of independent of the other. The first season set in 2006, the second season set back in the 70s, the next season a little more current in 2010. The nature of a crime drama is going to be a little bit formulaic. You know, there, you know, there's so many crime dramas and so many of them need to have certain things to happen. So that's going to be part of the show. But they, I feel like, spread it out between enough different distinct characters and again have great performances by great actors, even though it is set in the same general area with the same police uncovering the weird coincidences that lead to these weird crimes. For me, anyway, I, I'm enthralled with it. I think it's outstanding. Yeah, it's worth noting that they're building off of the formula of the original Coen Brothers movie, Fargo. So, they've decided to go with that. Another show that I'm watching, however, that is also adapting a movie into a TV show is the Netflix show Dear White People. I think it's a great show, it's a great movie as well, and they're just basically expanding an hour and a half into... 10 40 minute 30 minute episodes which just allows them to explore the characters much more but they are also keeping up with this formula this series of events that happen in the movie so in some ways it's not exactly fresh but if they go forward into a second season i'm interested in whether they're going to go past what the movie covered and it's a show that i really recommend there's actually a lot of drama around this show it's a skewering of racial politics. It's not some anti-white show, but a lot of people thought that it was. It has Giancarlo Esposito, Gus Fring from Breaking Bad as the narrator of the show, which is an aspect that I really appreciate. They do some interesting film work in the show as well. And it's got one season. The one documentary that we're covering today is Planet Earth 2. If you haven't seen the original Planet Earth, a brief description is that it's unbelievable. It's a a testament to modern photography and the devotion of certain people who try to capture what there is out there in nature. And it's really incredible what they can do with modern technology. A lot of the footage is captured by motion activated sensors or by infrared cameras or just technology that's beyond my capacity to explain. (laughs) But the end result is undeniably amazing. And the second season covers a lot of areas that weren't covered by the first season. Generally, it's broken up by large topics such as mountains or deserts or jungles or islands. And in this case, there was a particularly interesting one at the end of season two called Cities, which is showing some really incredible synergistic developments you could call you could effectively call it an evolution although not physically more of a behavioral thing animals interacting with cities in ways that they would do in nature in ways that are really hard for anyone to have predicted yeah i agree i really love it it's just beautiful just to watch it you could even just turn the sound off and it's just this beautiful imagery but they do also have great music and david attenborough as the narrator really adds a lot to it and another little neat thing that i like that they did is at the end of each episode there's sort of a postscript where they have some behind the scenes footage and some interviews with like the camera people and the producers and whatnot just the process they had to do to go through to get everything filmed and uh, the challenges that they faced and everything it's in addition to like the visual imagery and and even i don't know education about our world there was also some neat drama to how they captured it all another show that i'm the only one watching is casual which is airing on hulu it's currently on season three it's another show with kind of vaguely awful people doing 
somewhat awful things that are relatable. <laughs> I, it's a dramedy. Uh, all of that isn't to say that I don't like it, because I do actually really like it. I'm not sure exactly what distinguishes it from other shows like You're the Worst or Love, which we're going to talk about next, or a handful of other shows. But it is an interesting setup. It's about a brother and a sister and her daughter who are all in the dating world. And so they are interacting with each other, which is kind of a weird scenario. And it touches on dark subject matter, of course. And I like it a lot. I think I like it a little bit more than the next show we're about to watch. But it's also got a little bit more content because it's on season three. And the next show just came out with its second season. This is Love on Netflix, which is a Judd Apatow show with Gillian Jacobs. That's Britta from Community. I particularly like this show. Admittedly, I was a little turned off at first. Just the name Love. I'm like, eh, you know, some romantic comedy. I, I don't think I really care about this, but... Love and casual. Yeah. <laughs> but being Judd Apatow, all right, that's he's got enough that I'll give it a chance. And Shay actually scouted it out for me first. She liked it, so I watched it, and it was really good. I was really surprised. It wasn't really a romantic comedy, I wouldn't say. I think one thing about it that I liked that was kind of unique is it followed the two central characters sort of independent of their relationship with each other. And if you think about it, in your real life, when you're in a relationship with someone... You still have your job and your roommates, you have your hobbies and your life, and then also you spend some time with your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, you know. And so that's one thing I liked about this show is that A, everyone that gets into a relationship isn't necessarily good for each other. It's not necessarily going to be a good relationship, and so you see them kind of struggle through it some. And also you see uh, all the other aspects of their life, not just their relationship. It is really funny. It is, like Shay was saying, a, a dramedy. Like I mentioned, you know, it's like... I think this is closer to comedy, but it is, you know, it's not quite a drama with some funny stuff in it. It's more like a comedy with some serious stuff in it. But it was definitely refreshing from most of the other of the romantic comedy genre. The points you were raising there, Sean, makes me think of one of my favorite comedies out there, Man Seeking Woman. It has three seasons out and it's over. It's three and done. In the most recent season, they started to explore the main character, that's Jay Barakel, he got into a long-term relationship, but they had multiple episodes following his girlfriend, Lucy, throughout her life and seeing her friends and all these things, and I really was really happy with that show for doing it, but the show is awesome in a lot of other ways. Yeah, I'd say this is a really fantastic show. I, I really hate the term underrated and overrated because they're so subjective, but I, if I were, were forced to call a show underrated, I would say it's this show. It's really hilarious, and it's hilarious in ways that are really inventive. There's a certain trope of comedies where somebody makes a ridiculous suggestion or makes something that's really exaggerated. A lot of animated shows will take this and, and go all the way with it and say, oh, this this ridiculous suggestion actually comes to play. Like, how many times has Family Guy said, remember that one time when blah, 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 and they cut and you see the weird, crazy thing actually happen? Yeah. But this is a live action show that does that. And, that. and it also goes really far with some of these jokes in ways that are just gut-busting. For example, in one of the early episodes, there's a situation where the main character is uncomfortable with his attractive girlfriend's old friend who's come to visit. The old friend is literally a monster made out of penises. <laughs> He's a Japanese penis monster from another dimension. Yes, that's a very that's More an important reasonable. distinction. <laughs> and Josh, the central character, his girlfriend at the time, can't understand why he doesn't want her to hang out with the penis monster. <laughs> yeah, she, she treats him completely normally, even though he's literally made out of penises. 
So, highly recommend the show. It f- features Eric Andre, who's also a well-established comedian and a hilarious character in his own right in the show. And it occasionally does a switch to m- woman-seeking man, which is a great feature that Ashea described. They also have done it with his sister. I remember when the show was first being advertised, I kind of blew it off as some silly slapstick comedy, but you guys watched the first episode, and you were laughing out loud, and so I watched it, and man, I, I was sold. It was so funny. Again, I would say this is more of a straight comedy compared to some of the other more, you know... More gay shows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I At the time when I started watching it, I was realizing how much I loved Louie, and I was comparing and contrasting them. Louie, a lot of times, has sort of exaggerated humor, where... The way you would tell a story to be funny, you'll exaggerate it. And in his show, he'll show the exaggerated thing. Well, this show goes a step farther. It's not exaggerated. It's just fantastic. Yeah, or just completely ridiculous. But they they run with it and act like Mm -hmm. it's normal. And behind all that, they're really hitting some good points about relationships and what it's what it's like to date and even, you know, roles in society and so on. It's it's a really, really good show. On the other end of the spectrum is a show that goes to great lengths to be very real and realistic and have very human portrayals and very much features those human portrayals. It centers around the characters and their decisions, The Americans. It's a show about a couple who are Russian spies that have a family, but they're living in America, posing as Americans, in the 1980s, which is a particularly interesting era because there's no cell phones, there's not a paucity of recording devices everywhere and or cameras and politically in america is a very interesting time you have the cold war going on so this was a lot of secrets being stolen back and forth there's a lot of realism in the show but it like i said it really focuses on the characters and their struggle with the morality of what they're doing and how difficult their life is Yeah, this is an FX show that's on its fifth season out of six planned total. So between now and next March or so is the time to watch this show. We just watched it before the fifth season aired, all four seasons. And it starts off good, and it definitely, I'm not sure when, I think around halfway through season three, it just becomes great, fantastic TV, and I've liked every season, I think, more and more for reasons I obviously can't go into, but it's a slow burn. It's really good, though. I totally agree. Something I struggle with is that there are so many great shows out there. Some of them start off good, like this one, and gradually get better and better and better until I think The Americans is, you know, one of the best shows on TV. And that's more meaningful now than it would have been in the past because there's so many other great shows to compete with. But sometimes some shows just start off great right off the bat, you know? So I'm inclined to have people watch those first rather than the ones you have to get into over a series of seasons. But this one is so good. However, I still feel the the need to warn you. It's pretty dark and serious. You know, this is definitely a drama. This is not, like as he said, this is the other end of the spectrum from a lot of the comics we're watching. I'm not sure that there's a show that does tension better. Out of all the shows, at least out of the shows we're talking about today, I would say tension is handled best by the show, yeah. The Americans, uh, compared to anything else. In the beginning, it does, I feel like, try to hit a formula of having sex and violence every episode. But that soon gives way to the characters and the drama and a lot of tragedy even. And it's really about the relationships of this family and how they deal with their lives and their torn loyalties and hidden secrets and so on. It's really, really good. Great performances. Fandomedia.reviews. So another show that I think starts off pretty good but slowly becomes great 
is Vikings. And I think talking about Vikings, we should also talk about the Last Kingdom. They're, they're very related, very similar. Also, like the Americans, are period peace dramas. A little farther back in history. Uh, yeah, a little uh, a different period here. But both of them are based off this moment in history around the year 800 when the Vikings discovered England. And instead of, you know, warring where they had already been warring and are diminished resources, they just found this whole new country that just had gold laying around and no one defending it. And man, it just started this whole new era of populations and warring shifting around and both these shows kind of follow that time period the vikings is a little bit more from the viking perspective and the other show the last kingdom is a little bit more from the english perspective one thing that they both have in common is seeing how these different cultures receive and interpret each other you know the vikings and their gods and versus the british and the christians and even them are relatively new to Christianity. They still have some remnants of their old gods and everything. Both the shows do have a lot of action elements, but what really makes them good is the drama and the characters and their understandings or attempts at understandings of each other. Something I've found that I really like about shows that are period pieces, first of all, if they do a good job with immersion, that, that's already a big leg up they're going to have over a lot of other shows because personally that's something that really draws me into a show and I think that's true for a lot of people. In this case, these two shows have a lot, like you said, have a lot of action, but they don't rely on the action. The action isn't the culmination. The action isn't the climax. The climax is what happens with these characters. The climax is what happens with these large political events. And that is great because relying on action is very problematic because, as we've seen, a lot of us are probably kind of tired of the way action just lacks tension when you have characters that you know are safe. And in shows like these, not only do you not always know that the characters are safe, but since they're not framing these as the key moments, you know, you're not disappointed with the fact that this is supposed to be tense, and it's not, because the, the characters we care about always come out ahead. And I also really like the historical elements that are present here. Both of these shows take a lot of real history and change some things, timelines especially, to fit and make it a little more dramatic to make things work a little better for what they're trying to do. And that's fine. It's understandable. And of course, the big caveat to all that is a lot of the history of these time periods isn't known very well anyway. So it's especially fine to play with history when a lot of it is uncertain in the first place. One of the things I particularly like about Vikings, first of all, it has had is about to go into its fifth season. And one of the seasons was double length, is it's done a number of things that I've rarely or never seen a show do well. In the case of Vikings, like Sean said, it didn't get weaker. It hasn't fall, gone, jumped the shark. You know, it's just gotten stronger. And it's done that while having multiple large time jumps and having an almost complete shift in the main characters of the cast. A very gradual changing of who the main characters are. And it's done that really well by continuing to introduce really strong actors and writing compelling drama around these characters with this backdrop of violence and death and, and the harsh environments of the ninth century in England. <laughs> like Aziz was saying, Travis Fimmel, he starts off as Ragnar in The Vikings is the lead, and he is amazing. He really does a great job. In fact, I probably wouldn't have kept watching it after the first or second seasons if it wasn't for him. But as the show went on, there was definitely this shift from these, you know, more violent scenes and battle scenes to more character development, then you started to see, and in both Vikings and Last Kingdom, you kind of see things top and bottom. You see some of the soldiers on the ground going out to fight with their sword, and you see sort of the leaders, the kings even, kind of organizing, making long-term plans, and 
how sometimes they meet in the middle, you know. That's one thing I really liked about it. Last Kingdom has a lead who is perhaps considerably less strong. A lot of people, I'd say, criticize the lead choice for The Last Kingdom. However, the, even though he's the lead, the show doesn't exactly revolve around him. Which is interesting because the show is based on books that definitely revolve around <laughs> him. The series of books is called, again, The Last Kingdom, and there's ten of them. And this show is only in its second season, unlike Vikings, is a lot less established. As of this recording, we don't know if there's yet going to be a third season of Last Kingdom. Certainly Vikings is going to probably con continuing for several more seasons at the rate it's going. So it's harder to recommend Last Kingdom at this point if you're someone who doesn't want to get into a show that's well-established. But if you like Vikings and haven't watched Last Kingdom, I strongly recommend it. It takes place about 50 years later, and for an extra bit of fun, some of the same historical figures appear in both shows, which I think is really fun. You get to see them from both perspectives. You get to see a couple different takes on them, and they're both done really well in that regard. Yeah, and you can find The Last Kingdom on Netflix in the U.S. right now. Vikings is a History Channel show, and again, in the beginning, I feel like they were doing a lot to, like, show the history of the Vikings. They're like, they had these things they know from history were part of their culture they wanted to show to us, which was neat to set it all up, but I do think it maybe caused the show to drag a little and go kind of diverge in some random directions just so they could teach us these neat elements of history. But I think once they got through that and started to zero in on these characters and their drama and their relationships... Man, by this last season, I couldn't believe how good it was. It was really, really good. Fandomedia.reviews One period piece that I'm watching is a Hulu original. It's called Harlots, and it's actually inspired by this list called Harris's List, and it was a list of all of the prostitutes in 1775 London. Whoa. And so, <laughs> Were there three names on the list? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a very long list that chronicled all of their exploits and talked about like details about them. So there was a book that went into more detail about it called Covent Garden Ladies. And so this is inspired by that, but obviously not taking any direct, direct inspiration. But I like it a lot. It's got kind of an anachronistic feel to it because they'll periodically use modern songs for this period piece, which is a thing that I know rubs a lot of people the wrong way, which is why I'll warn you. I love it, and I think it's perfect for this kind of subversive tale. And I think it's got a really strong cast of just basically entirely women making a living in London. If you're a fan of the show Westworld, which we all are, you might want to try the show Humans. It's not nearly as big a production. It doesn't have nearly the star power. And it's not a mystery-based show, and it doesn't really have a lot of action. But it does have intriguing questions about what it means to be human, because it has the same basic premise, which is there are now humanoid robot-type beings that are starting to gain consciousness. And that's obviously a central theme of Westworld as well. And how humans react to the fact that these quote-unquote machines are now conscious. And of course, the central question is whether or not they should still be considered machines. So that becomes very interesting. The show is made in England. Like a lot of the shows we've discussed today, it's a joint production. Something I certainly don't remember from my youth that's happening a lot now is that shows are often joint productions that are connected across the water. Like uh, in this case, we have Channel 4 teaming up with AMC. Yeah, in this case, it was a little curious because AMC got a pretty shoddy deal to release the episodes delayed from the UK, which, I mean, in our digital world, that just doesn't fly. You just It's really difficult to do that. In the first season, it was a week later, a week delay. 
manageable. A lot of spoilers out there for U.S. people, but manageable. But the next season, it was like multiple months, which was a bummer and I think really hurt the buzz around humans, basically. But I think it's a really great show. It's got a really good cast. And I personally, as much as I did like Westworld, I like humans even more. But there's two seasons of humans. It's a little unfair. It's also got an actor from one of my favorite shows, Utopia, Neil Maskell, and I think he's a really talented actor, and that you should also watch Utopia. (laughs) (laughs) I also liked Utopia a lot, and that actor in it was outstanding. And this most current season of Humans also is Carrie Ann Moss from The Matrix. That's a neat, neat get for them. And I do like the show. I think in the end, I like it more than Westworld also. Again, maybe not fair because it has two seasons, but... At the end of Westworld, I felt, no, don't get me wrong, Westworld was outstanding, but at the end of it, I felt like, okay, they answered all the questions about the mystery. But at the end of Humans, I'm like, still thinking about morality and society and technology and culture, it's, it brings up, in addition to like the specifics of its plot and its characters, it just has these bigger themes that I dwell on, even still, weeks after I've been watching it. Yeah, even though the show is a smaller production than Westworld, its scale is larger, in, or maybe perhaps you could say its scope is larger. In the case of Westworld, it's a contained area where these AI beings are kept, and people pay a huge amount of money to go interact with them and live in this created world. Whereas in Humans, these beings are widely available for purchase as domestic servants or as helpers or as... A wide variety of factories. Exactly. Yeah. They're all over the place, and they're distinguished by a specific color of the eyes and how they move. And this is an interesting thing about how the show was made. All the actors who are playing these AI beings were trained in a very specific uniform way, so they all kind of have the same motions and mannerisms, which that's a really nice touch because it gives it a lot of consistency. Yeah, I'm constantly impressed by the acting of the synths, as they call them in the show. Another show that leaves me dwelling on some pretty deep subjects, and I actually have to go at it at a pretty slow pace, Sean and I are watching this, is The Handmaid's Tale. I would wager that you've all heard of The Handmaid's Tale. There's been a lot of buzz about it. It's based on a book, which I've read, but it was a while ago, so definitely a lot of the small plot points are just gone from my mind, so it's fun that it's fresh in that sense. But it is dark and worrisome for sure we've watched only two episodes out of the eight we're going at it pretty slow yeah it is it is good and well done but also tough to watch a show that is not tough to watch which has a very friendly name and a very happy disposition it's just i would say this show is delightful (laughs) (laughs) and that is the good place (laughs) Who would have thought it with that title? (laughs) Yeah, this show is surprisingly funny. I at first, like Sean, like you had the reaction with Man Seeking Woman, where first you just kind of dismissed it as kind of standard looking. That's what I thought too. But through osmosis, which means doing something else in the room while other people are watching it and being like, hey, this is good. And being sucked in for that reason, that, you know, that makes it extra fun because of the way it grabbed me. I was trying to sell it to Aziz. I was like, it's Mike Schur. He's the... He did The Office and Parks and Recreation <laughs> and Brooklyn Nine-Nine, three comedies that we really like. Aziz was like, eh, I'll let you feel it out first. And <laughs> he got sucked in. I got through the first season. I was like, oh, man, Sean needs to watch this. I immediately told everyone to watch it because just the season as a whole is actually a very cohesive story. I was pretty sold with Mike Schur. Now, I didn't jump on it right away, but Shay's enthusiasm as she was getting through it got greater and greater. And by the last episode, I, there was no way I was not going to watch it. 
And I'm so glad that I did. It, it really was good. It has a big and diverse cast with a lot of new actors and actresses who I hadn't really recognized from other shows. But it also has Kristen Bell and Ted Danson, who are just, you know, they have both huge resumes of being successful. And they're a big part of why the show is great, because they're both great. So just to give you guys uh, an idea of what the show is actually about, it's another fantastical show that takes things to an absurd level, kind of like Man Seeking Woman in its own way. But it's very, very positive, as Aziz mentioned. And it's basically about a woman, Kristen Bell, who has died. She wakes That's up. That's very positive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she wakes up and she's in the good place, which is heaven, but they call it the good place. And it goes from there with a bunch of twists and turns along the way. There's constantly plot twists episode after episode. Yeah, it's sort of religiously ambiguous, but it's set in the afterworld and... No religion got it more than, like, 2% right. Yeah, yeah. There's a scene, where, you know, when she first gets there, Ted Danson is sort of welcoming her to the good place, and she has some questions, and he gives some answers. Most of it's covered in the first episode, so we don't need to spoil too much for you, but I think if you give it two or three episodes, you, you'll be hooked, and by the end, you'll be dying for the next season. No pun intended. <laughs> oh, come on. Pun intended. Pun always intended. Something about The Good Place that kind of separates it from most of the shows we're talking about today is that it's an actual network show. It's on NBC, and most of the shows we've covered are on some cable network. So that's kind of neat. Another one that fits in that category of being on a major network is Fresh Off the Boat. Yeah, I really love Fresh Off the Boat. It's a family sitcom. If you liked Malcolm in the Middle, you will love Fresh Off the Boat. It is very similar to that, and Malcolm in the Middle has been one of my favorite shows for a long time. It even has some writers that have worked on Malcolm in the Middle. The showrunner has worked on it. It's the first sitcom to have an Asian-American family as the stars since 1994, and coincidentally, it's also set in the 90s, so it's full of nostalgia. It has a killer cast led by Randall Park, whose main claim to fame for me is as Asian Jim in The Office, and I just think he's <laughs> always really hilarious. And it's got Constance Wu, who I hadn't known before this, but she's an amazing comedic actress. Randall Park was also in love, right? Yes, he was. Perhaps because it's also a network show like The Good Place, I would also describe the show as delightful in terms of its comedic value. It is really funny, but it's very much, you know, family-oriented comedy stuff, which usually I don't go for. But this show is just, the humor is just quality, and that's the bottom line. And I love the 90s nostalgia. It's great to see one of the kids, one of the boys is in love with rap music and Shaq. It's like all that 90s feel of the gaudy clothing and the... It's set in Florida, too, so... in Orlando, which is a particularly, like, big, loud place in terms of its visuals. Orlando's still in the 90s, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) So, it's a really funny show. Highly recommended. And it's got three seasons out, and these are, of course, the long seasons, you know, 20-episode seasons, and it's already been renewed for a fourth season. This show's also based on a book, a memoir, by Eddie Wong, who's a chef. Yeah, and Eddie Wong was originally the feature of the show. It used to be almost a Wonder Years type start, but more of a comedy where the oldest son is the central character. It's partly biographical based on a lot of his real life experiences. So originally the show was set around him and it had the narrator like in Wonder Years where it's kind of talking from perspective. But they shifted away from that because they realized that the supporting cast was where 
a lot more of the talent was. So so they shifted it from Eddie being just part of the family and one of the characters instead of centering around him. And that was a really strong choice because, like you said, Randall Park and Constance Wu and a lot of these other characters, the child actors, his other brothers and their neighbors, really great casting, really funny. So good choice to spread it around. Yeah, so if you're looking for a just totally family-friendly comedy that will make you crack up constantly every episode, this is the show for you, and there's a lot of episodes. Another sort of positive show that I watched, it's a little more cheery, it's not towards the dramedy side, but it is definitely very plot-based, is Jane the Virgin. The best way to describe it for me is that it's a telenovela and it is actually based on a telenovela, but it's got some Arrested Development vibes to it. It's Mm -hmm. got a really absurdly hilarious narrator that makes these very meta jokes about everything. It's got writing on the screen on different characters and different visual elements that happen in it that constantly delight me. And it also gets into some pretty heavy things sometimes, but it always keeps it light, more like a ABC special type of thing, after school special, which isn't to sell it short, but it isn't dealing with things necessarily with the full darkness that a dramedy would. A little bit about the show, it, like I said, it's basically a telenovela, so the premise is that the main character, Jane Villanueva, is a virgin. She's waiting for marriage to lose her virginity, and she goes to the doctor, to the gynecologist, and the gynecologist is having a bad day, she's breaking up with her girlfriend, having a fight or something like that, and she accidentally gets her patients mixed up and artificially inseminates the main character with... (laughs) this man's sperm and so jane is a man's sperm (laughs) and so jane is pretty devout and so she's not necessarily gonna have an abortion they definitely give thought to that but her life moves forward after this and goes in even crazier telenovela ways with murders and all sorts of things like that it's a very dramatic show but i definitely think it's worth checking out if you're looking for a little drama of a light-hearted nature a cheesy (laughs) nature almost it does sound kind of Arrested Development-ish. Yeah, Arrested Development does have that sort of thing. It has some, like, plot twists that are just kind of ridiculous. Uh, I don't want to give away Arrested Development things because... Surely some of you haven't watched it. We'll hopefully hopefully be covering it when it comes back, though, on Netflix. One show that I watched this past year, actually caught up from the year prior also, was Baskets. This is a show that's produced by Louis C.K. At first, I didn't have very high expectations from it. It stars Zach Galifianakis. But being Louis C.K., that's enough to get me to watch it. And it turned out to be very, very good. It's ostensibly a comedy, but really it's not. It's a drama. And it's oftentimes very dark and very sad. And I don't know if that's the best way to pitch this show. <laughs> and honestly, I don't know how many people will love it. I don't know what kind of mass appeal it would have. But it really hit for me. It's just Louis C.K.'s humor is just perfect for me. And I really appreciate what you're seeing here in this show. The central character, Chip Baskets, is just kind of struggling through life. And the setup is it he wants to be a clown. And for whatever reason, he's got it in his mind to, to be serious about this. It's kind of like a fun thing but in a show a lot of things that on a surface are funny you see that there's maybe a serious element to it. and he like goes to Paris to go to clown school but his life is just full of failures and tragedies Louis Anderson plays his mother in the show which is an odd choice but he does an outstanding job with it he actually wins an Emmy for best supporting actor I, I really love the show I think it's beautifully done it has some of the funniest moments even though it's only really a couple laughs per episode they're like my funniest laughs of the week I also kind of want to point out that Louis C.K. 
has shifted from his own show to producing other shows, including Baskets and another show called Better Things with Pamela Adlon, and they all have his brand and his flavor in them, but just branching into some different characters and some different scenarios. People who are better at acting than he is. Yeah, that's a fact. That is always the weakness of Louis, which I also love, is that he's not a great actor. But these other shows that he's producing, he's able to use people who are great actors. One of the shows that I'm completely positive is going to be in my top 10 shows of the year is Anne, also known as Anne with an E on Netflix. This is another co-production CBC Netflix show. It's obviously an adaption of Anne of Green Gables, the classic children's book series, which has always been one of my favorite book series growing up. If that's not enough to sell all of you, oh, a children's book series from 19, <laughs> you know, 20, then let me sell it to you a little bit more. More. It's by Moira Wally Beckett, who is one of the main writers and producers for Breaking Bad, and she actually wrote Ozymandias, which is widely considered to be the best episode of Breaking Bad, and she wrote Fly, which is actually my favorite episode of Breaking Bad, and she wrote every single episode of Anne, seven episodes, and the first episode is directed by Nikki Caro, who did Whale Rider, and that sort of sets the tone for the series as a whole. It's got another actor from one of my all-time favorite shows, Utopia, Geraldine James, who's also been in Star Wars, and it's basically just a very slow, mundane look at a little girl's life and the dramas that happen there. She's a little orphan girl, and there's actually a lot of emotional depth to be mined there. And I've been in tears. I've had people telling me that it was very emotional for them to watch, but also very heartwarming. I definitely think it's a really joyful show to watch. I haven't watched the whole show, but I've seen a couple episodes of it. And I agree with everything Shea said. And I also want to add that sometimes it's hilarious. <laughs> the, <laughs> the girl that plays the central character is an amazing little actress and oftentimes just makes me laugh out loud. That's a great point as well. I'm often comparing her to Saul Goodman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fast talker who's Fast willing talker. to say anything, really. And as Aziz pointed out about some of the other shows, it's very immersive. They set up the world very well, too. Another show I watched just recently, even though it's from a couple years ago, was called Derek. It's a, uh, I think, another joint production between Channel 4 and Netflix. And it's Ricky Gervais, who is the writer, director, producer, star. He's put the whole thing together. It's just a beautiful mix of heartwarming and comedy, and sometimes very crass comedy. In fact, the show is so touching and so beautiful, especially coming from Ricky Gervais, because he's such a jackass sometimes. <laughs> I can't believe how how beautiful a character he created and how beautiful this show is. And I recommended it to my parents, but I almost forgot that there's this one super crass character. It is still Richard Gervais. He still sticks in his Kev character, who's just the most offensive, foul character. I watched the first season, and that guy was kind of in the background. I told my parents about it. They watched the first season, and they loved it. They went in to watch the second, where this Kev character was more featured, and man, it was terrible. I can't believe I made my parents watch it. <laughs> it's such this weird mix between nice and wholesome and heartwarming and just disgusting and crude and crass, but I want to recommend this show in general, partly because it's short. It's like a dozen total episodes or 20 minute seats or whatever and sometimes you're going to be coming to tears from sadness and sometimes from laughter it's it was a really really surprising little gem another show like that that i've watched that's also short british show is chewing gum which is also released on netflix in the u.s it reminds me of broad city in a lot of ways and that it has women doing some pretty wild things and just being ridiculous 
caricature as a person, you know. <laughs> it can just be absurd. But it has an interesting premise in that the main character is basically a huge dork who is raised very religiously. She's a 20-something-year-old virgin, and she actively wants to lose it and experience the world. And it's based on the creator, writer, star's real life. That was her real story, that she went from religiously devout to going to orgies. <laughs> and so it does a lot of wild and crazy things. It's hilarious, too. Short, six-episode seasons. There's a fair amount of animated shows that we watch as well. We've been watching The Simpsons a lot recently because they have Simpsons World on the FX app, and you can play a random episode. You can just watch every episode. There's playlists. And I made an effort to log on this site that I use, Tracked, T-R-A-K-T, TV, which is just basically a TV logging site that will tell you what shows you have to watch. And I started logging all of the episodes I've seen. I've seen about 74% of The Simpsons, which means I still have about two days plus to watch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 48 hours of Simpsons left. So it's insane. Much. Yeah, there's over 600 episodes of The Simpsons, and they're still good. That's crazy. There are a couple animated shows that are newer to the scene that I've started watching recently. A lot of people have been recommending to me BoJack Horseman and Rick and Morty. BoJack Horseman's kind of a weird show. It features this character. Like, a lot of the characters in the show are like animals. And it's just in the world. They're just animal humanoids in the world. And the central character of BoJack Horseman is a has-been actor played by Will Arnett from Arrested Development and 30 Rock. It also features Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad and a bunch of other characters. And... It's it's neat. It's a fun, interesting show. I, I haven't even gotten to the first season yet, and the feedback I've gotten is it, it gets deeper and more serious. It starts off more comedic and gets more serious as it goes through, which I kind of see. Rick and Morty is another show that is very creative. It's kind of fast-paced and harebrained. It's kind of a sci-fi show. It's this family that has their the father or the grandfather, I guess, uh, is this mad scientist character, and he takes his grandson on all these weird adventures, and they get a lot of social commentary and, and innovative kind of filmmaking that they do with the animation in there. It's a neat show. It's a show by Dan Harmon, who did Community, and it's kind of modeled off of a Back to the Future style relationship. It specifically is, in fact, it was a short film, animated film, modeled after Back to the Future that they turned into this Rick and Morty show. Another animated show that we're watching is Bob's Burgers. We're sometimes not quite caught up on it. We let them pile up. They're on seven seasons now, which is a lot of seasons. Nothing like The Simpsons, but it is a lot of puns. Every episode, they have a different pun store. In the opening sequence, they have different pun recipes in the burger restaurant. And that's one thing that I really like about the show and look forward to. It's not just seven seasons, but they also have like 20-ish episodes per season, right? It's true. It's Lots true. of material. It's created, by the way, by Lauren Bouchard. Lauren Bouchard and Brendan Small, way back in the day, had a show called Home Movies, which I'm a big fan of. I am as well. It's one of my top five animated shows ever. I totally agree with you there. And they featured in that show the voice actor H. John Benjamin, and he's gone on to do a million things. He's an archer, probably what most people know him for now, but he's also Bob in Bob's Burgers. Another character that's featured, or voice actor that's featured in Bob's Burgers is Aziz Sansari, and H. John Benjamin, as an actor, is featured in Aziz Sansari show, Master of None. <laughs> Which, by the way, we're gonna talk about shows that we want to cover for sure and shows that are coming out in the coming months that we may or may not cover. One of those is Master of None. We all really like Master of None. We want to talk about it. It's a Netflix show, so 
it all came out at once and we want to rewatch it, so we'll get to it eventually. It's really fantastic. I liked the second season even more than the first personally, but they were both great. When the second season first came out, I was, hadn't seen it yet, but people who did watch it immediately were telling me it was better than the first. In my mind, I was like, no way. That first season was so good. No way second season is better. Second season is better. It was really, really good. I'll champion those who still like the first season more. I like the first season more. <laughs> You're just a dummy head. <laughs> <laughs> One show that Sean and I are going to cover, it'll be our first episode with just the two of us, is The Get Down. It's one of both of our absolute favorite shows out there. I think it's the best thing that Netflix has done myself. I just think it's just a masterpiece. It's it's a Baz Luhrmann show about the formation of hip-hop, the death of disco, about the Bronx in the 1970s. It's about a lot of things. It's a superhero show. It's, it's just amazing. I agree. It was a huge production, visually stunning, great performances. It's almost like a musical. There's lots of song and dance mixed up in it, and it's a time period of music I really love, the early, early origins of hip-hop. It follows a group of characters, most of them high school kids, who maybe would have just had a crappy life in the crimes of the ghettos of the Bronx in the 70s, but instead they have these opportunities in music, and it has a lot of parallels to the history of hip-hop and even America. There's lots of social commentary being made. It's an outstanding show, I think super underrated. Another show that just came out that we haven't had a chance to watch yet is House of Cards. That's a show Aziz and I have been following. I'm sure we'll watch that show. We may or may not give it its own coverage, but it's definitely something we're looking forward to. Yep, up to its fifth season now. Two other Netflix shows that are coming out soon are season five of Orange is the New Black, which maybe we'll cover some of. It's unsure. Depends on how the fifth season is, but it is on season five. Mm -hmm. And Glow, which is the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. And this is by Genji Cohen, who did Orange is the New Black as well. And it's got a great cast like Alison Brie and Sunita Mani from... Mr. Robot, who I love, and I am all in on Glow, on the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. How can you say no to that? So I'll be watching that. Probably won't be covering it because Netflix shows are difficult to cover. But once it gets to July, we'll be covering fewer things here as our review coverage will be taken up by Game of Thrones, which we cover as History of Westeros. Game of Thrones? What's that? I haven't heard of that show. (laughs) Around the same time as Game of Thrones, the show Insecure is coming back, which is starring and created by Issa Rae of the web series Awkward Black Girl, co-created by Larry Wilmore, and it's just about a black woman's experience, New York City. She's into rap, she likes making jokes, she likes working on her community, she's in the upper middle class, in the middle class. So it's about a different segment of black life. I think it's really, really good, hilarious. I love the music selection. I haven't seen that show, but I did hear an interview with her, and it makes me want to watch this show. And the next show that we are definitely going to cover is Broad City, which comes back in August for its fourth season, and we're all really big fans of the show. It's just absolutely hilarious. Oh, yeah. I do love Broad City. Fandomedia.reviews. So that was a whole lot of shows we just covered. If we talked about a show and you can't quite remember which one it was and you want to get a little clarification, go ahead and tweet us at, at Fandomedia or go to our website, Fandomedia.reviews, and leave a comment on this episode post. Every episode we put out has a corresponding post on our website. Signing off from the last fandom on Fanet Earth, I'm Fan the Virgin. I'm Fan Seeking Woman. And I'm Fan with an E. Fane. Ha, 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 ha.